You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two putts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome, golfers, to the uh, seventh episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Today, we're very fortunate to have special guest Simon Dyson join us. Uh, Simon has been on the tour for 20 years. Um, He won six times on the European tour. And now he's uh, changing career slightly and going into the coaching role. So I uh, very much look forward to hearing from him and uh, I hope you do too. Read it, roll it, hold it. Okay, welcome to uh, Simon Dyson to the show. Hi, Simon. Hello, Ollie. You okay, mate? I'm very well, thanks. And yourself? Good. Very good, thank you. How's the isolation period been for you, uh, Simon? What have you been up to in that time? It's been good. It's been productive. I've... I'm always one of these that I like to do things. I can never just sit around and do nothing. So I've been speaking to a lot of people like yourself, Tim, um, Ian Highfield, Stuart Morgan, people like that. I've been chatting a lot to them, trying to improve my philosophy on how I coach, what things I can add to it. been doing loads of Instagram lives with different sportsmen, talking to them how they train and their mindset and things like that, which I got a lot a lot from, especially the footballers, especially the footballers. And then, yeah, just kind of setting up, ready for when I can go back coaching. I've had a lot of people message me over this period who want to come down and a lot of, a lot of lads who've come back from America who want to now turn pro and progress. A lot of guys from Euro Pro who want to obviously get challenge or main tour, so... Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a busy period, but one that I'm really looking forward to. What's the um, What's the biggest learning um, you've had from those footballers on mindset or or any part? Just how I I love talking to them uh, about their training. So like I spoke with Paul Scholes and Lewis Figo, and they were talking about how intense their training was. And especially Scorsi, I said, what was your training like? And he was like, it was harder than an actual match. And I remember hearing that about Arsene Wenger with his, with his training. Yeah, it's funny how when footballers, cricketers, rugby players are training, that's them training before a match. Yet golfers practice, they don't train, which, which gets me thinking, are we doing it right? You know, just practicing. You're just practicing something, or you're actually training for something. Uh, but how they all make it harder than the actual game, and I don't think golfers do that. Yeah, so interesting, isn't it? That they also train on the pitch quite often. Like where they play, that that's where they train quite often. Yeah, don't exactly. They? It's not. They haven't got. They haven't got cones. I mean, they do have cones and stuff, and they do dribbling skills and things like that. But that would be related to a, a challenge on the driving range, like a 150-yard 9-iron, and then you do something totally different, different shots. Whereas when they do a lot of training on the pitch, like you say, but how many people train for golf on the course? Not many. Not many. They'd rather spend two hours on a driving range than go and play nine holes. Yet you'd actually get so much more out of the nine holes than you would two hours on a driving range bull bashers i call them yeah yeah <laughs> excellent let's talk a little bit about your career then simon so um you know what amazes me and and we've we've become friends over the last few months which has been lovely and 
what I see from you is you have this real drive and this like resilience to sort of, you were on tour for 20 years, kept going. You like talked about being the hardest worker. Like where does that come from? I think it's a lot of it's in you already. You know, there's a lot of people who, who aren't like that, who just kind of go along the day-to-day things. I think I always just wanted to be the best I could be. And I didn't to start with, you know, I said I was one of the hardest workers. To start with, I wasn't. I just kind of thought, you know what, it's all natural talent. I don't need to work that hard. And I got to, I got to play Walker Cup, which for me is the pinnacle of, uh, apart from winning the British Amateur, is the pinnacle of amateur golf. So I got to do that. And then I turned pro, went to Asia, won three times, won the Order of Merit, without really working that hard at my game. So it was like, that was kind of strange. And then I came back to Europe and did the same, kept my card for two or three years without really working that hard at my game. Kick up the arse that I needed was when my good pal Nick Doherty, he won in Singapore in 2005 and had a fantastic year. And I had an all right year. And I just remember thinking, I need to know what he's doing. So I sat down with him and I, said like what have you done what have you changed and he told me everything that he was doing and it was at the end of the year and I just said I need to do that and I did I changed how what I ate what I drank how I trained how I practiced how I trained in the gym how much I played and I won within three months of doing it and it was just a a big eye-opener for me Hmm, that's really interesting it's like marginal gains isn't it yeah, I mean, if somebody said to you, right, if you cut out caffeine, you will, you will improve your putting by 0.1 shots gained. Would you do it? 100%. Of course you'd do it. Why aren't you doing it then? Because it might. It might help you with that. It certainly won't go the other way. That's what I did. I cut out caffeine. I stopped drinking and... All of a sudden, it was almost like the placebo effect. Even if it wasn't helping me, it did up here. Because I'm thinking, I'm doing everything right. It's going to all come together. And then it did. And, and I still put it down to the fact that I just started ticking all the right boxes. It's just those uh, small small gains, as you say. So brilliant. Absolutely. So t- who, you mentioned Nick Doherty. Who was like, did you have like a roommate or did you have your own room? And like, who were your best buds on tour? Again, that was another thing. I used to room with Doe quite a bit. I used to room with Steve Webster. Two great lads. I still keep in touch with them both now. They're both good friends. And then that was another thing that I changed. I started rooming on my own. Um, my, my coach at the time, Pete Cowan, used to say to me, it's false economy. You know, he went, what happens if you've got a one o'clock tea time and they've got a half seven and they're up at half five and they're waking you up at half five and then you don't go back to sleep. He went, it's, it's bad preparation. So all of a sudden I started rooming on my own. Good lads, those two. Got a lot of time for them both. And have you got a, uh, a funny story that you can share with us? That you yeah, heard? I mean, we've had, some, we've had some great times, to be fair. We used to, we used to go at the beginning of the year uh, and we'd pack our bags and go away for 10 weeks. We'd go South Africa a couple of weeks, Australia, four weeks, Malaysia, Singapore, Dubai, Qatar. And I went, Every time we used to land in, in Australia, we all used to love Australia. And 
we'd always like look at each other and go we're home you know and uh and then we'd have a week off and we'd always stay in sydney and there was a bar in sydney called home bar and we used to go in it that much that every time we walked in the dj saw us and played the same song and it was always michael jackson billy jean and it was and we used to just walk in and it was great just great moment great time of life to be associated with like those lads and golf and we were lucky lads you know i was 22 traveling the world i must say yeah australia is just like an amazing place isn't it it's like one of my favorite melbourne especially is my favorite place in the world yeah mine too mine too if i i always say to my wife if someone offered me a job in melbourne we'd go the standard of life is fantastic over there and um they love the golf they're the best golf courses in the world so tell me um i think it was 2013 you got a wrist injury is that right 15 2015 yeah it was weird I, i remember being with pete at the driving range and he had me hitting a lot of just left hand only like flop shots to get to feel the club releasing more I'd got to a point where I was, my hands were leading the shot. So I was getting a little bit behind myself. When I played my best golf, I'd always hit like a little fade, little two-yard fade. We called it the hold-up shot. You know, right to left wind, just hold it up into that wind. Mm-hmm. And I'd done it that much, I'd started to lead with my hands in the shot. Um, so we're doing a little bit of work, just left wrist, getting the club releasing. And it felt great. But after about 20, 25 shots, I remember saying to him, I'm going to have to take a little break here, Pete. I went, my, my wrist is really sore. It's like aching. So he's like, well, let's call it a day. So I drove home. Next day, I'd off. And then the next day, I went and played Worsley with a couple of my pals. Got on the first, not fine. Second, fine. Third, hit my tee shot. Middle of the fairway, three wood. I just felt something snap in my wrist. And it was so painful, Ollie. It was, oh. it was like, it was like I'd broken my wrist. It died off after about 20 seconds. So I got to my next shot and, um, and I got the club and something just didn't feel right. I was like, that feels weird. Um, so I said to the lads, I'm going to walk in. So I walked in um, spoke to a couple of the guys at ISM. I was with Booper at the time. So I got in to see Mike Hayton, a wrist specialist. And he was like, yeah, he says, um, you know, your, your tendon sits in a groove and yours is obviously moving. I can give you a cortisone, calm it down, and we can see what happens in like a month. So I went, yeah, let's do that. So he did. And it was all right. I taped it up. I went and played in Spain about six weeks later. And it was fine on the Tuesday, fine on the Wednesday. Got on the range Thursday, fine. Played the first hole, fine. Hit my tee shot off the second and I just felt it again. So I played nine holes, withdrew, tried to carry on, couldn't play. So I came home and he just said, um, he said, well, you can either have another cortisone and see how it feels or we can open it up. So I said, let's have another cortisone. So I did. And then about two weeks later, it went again. So he's like, right, you've got your only choices to have an operation. So basically what had happened is You've got your tendon that sits in the groove and then you've got a thing that sits over your tendon called the subsheath and that had just snapped and obliterated. And what it had done is, instead of it, say that's your tendon and that's the subsheath, it snapped 
and then healed underneath the tendon, so the tendon had free range. Ooh. So the tendon was moving about, touching all my nerves, and was just too painful. So he basically got it all out, tied a new subsheath together, so my tendon it, it doesn't slip out of the groove anymore. Oh, um, but yeah, I came back. I wasn't the same player. No, I wasn't even close. I'd, I'd lost my confidence, and I was swinging it poor. I was playing poor. And yeah, it was a shame, really, because I'd, I'd had a good year in 2014. Like, how did it affect you? Obviously, you said conference-wise, but is that the, the biggest thing that sort of mentally... How long were you out, out for? And uh, but I was out for about nine months. So was that was a difficult time months. in your life? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, always, I always kept saying to like, my friends and family, I really hope this doesn't end my career. I really hope I can kind of come back. And I came back and I was, I was just really scared of it going again because I remember how horrible it felt and with every single shot. So all of a sudden I started getting even more tentative, started like high hands, leading me even more with the shots. And I mean, I was hitting shots I've, I've never hit mm. when I came back. I remember one in Abu Dhabi, I must have hit a foot. I was hitting driver. I must have hit a foot behind the ball and it went off at like, it, again, 45 degrees. And I've just stood there and I'm like, I've never hit a shot like that. <laughs> but I, and I, because I was tentative, I got into some bad habits with my swing. And there'd be times when I'd play all right and then there'd be times when I'd play terrible. I mean, I shot a lot of 80s coming after I came back. And I think I'd... I'd probably shot 180 in my career hmm. and I was shooting them regularly. And so confidence just went. And, but while I was out, that was kind of, I went, I went and did a few different other things. So I went and did my TPI in LA. Uh, golf fitness was always something that was important to me and I wanted to learn more about it. Went and did that, did my level two, level three, level four NASM, um, fitness specialist. So I went and did those and yeah, I kind of prepared a little bit for life after golf because mm. at that point I'm thinking I'm really not the same player. Obviously you moved into coaching. How was that transition for you? That must have been quite tough as well, leading, you know, yeah. going on to a couple of years later. And do you know what? Do you know what, Ollie? I knew it would be, so I got someone to help me with it. I knew I just couldn't do it on my own. I'm always, I've never been afraid to ask for help when I know I need it. You know, some people are blinkered and they're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Two years later, they're not fine. Hmm. Whereas I knew I'd need the help 19, 20 years, like you said, on tour. Um, golf had been my life. So to all, and I was still going to do something in golf. I'd always do something in golf. It'd, it'd be impossible to just walk away. But I knew I'd need the help. So I'd, I'd got a life coach. I wanted somebody who knew nothing about sport. Because at the end of the day, this was a life decision, not a sport decision. So I got her to help me and she was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And she helped me through it. And she taught me a few things about life coaching that are so relevant in just life and sport. And she came at it from a totally different angle. She came at it from a life angle and about how I should enjoy the next part of my life I'm going to get to spend more time with my family I'm going to get to be at home more 
and you know it's all about the now the, the past is gone you can do absolutely nothing about it you know a lot of people live in the past and they try and hang on to the past i'm a big believer in you know got you've got to forget about it you really have and i used to do that in golf i used to you know a lot of things used to bother me what happened on the course whereas now i mean i can go and play and a bad shot does not bother me one bit and just i knew it would be a challenging period making that transition but uh, she helped me cope with it really well that's good that sounds great it's um it, you had just mentioned about the next shot and um last time we spoke when you come on to our uh, speak to our juniors i think one of the questions was who's the best player you've played with can you just tell tell the the guys on the podcast about ernie yeah so i always tell this story cuz he's brilliant and People always say, who's the best player you've ever played with? And I always say, it's really difficult to say because I've played with, apart from Tiger, I've played with everybody. Um, apart from obviously like Ricky Fowler and all them boys who are, who are on the scene now. But, you know, like 10, 20 years ago, the people who were about, I've played with them all. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen Monty shoot 61 round St. Andrews. I've seen... Keegan Bradley shoots 62 on Akron, you know, and fantastic rounds. But the one I learned the most from was Ernie Els when I played with him at Royal Melbourne. And just the ability to get over a bad shot or the ability to just put it to one side and concentrate on the next. He would make, I remember he made a bogey on one hole. He was going into a par five with a five iron. And he made a six. And the following hole, he went birdie. And then he went birdie. And I just thought to myself, how has he done that? So I, kept, I just kept watching him. I, 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 like I said, I learned so much from him. So I watched him. And then he did it again. He made a bogey with like wedge in his hand, which we do. But he followed it up with another birdie. Me and my caddy used to call it ba- uh, bounce back ability. And BBA. And do you know what? Every, every time I played from then on, I tried to do that. I tried to make birdie when I'd made a bogey. And the amount of times I did it, because purely my focus was, right, let's get it back straight away. And I did it so often. And, and I would say he was, he was the one I learned the most from. And he's a, he's a great guy as well. Love that. BBA. BBA, bounce back ability. Bottle it, bottle it, sell it. I'll tell you what, if you could, yeah, if you could, my word. <laughs> be the hottest thing in the world. It would, wouldn't it? That's great, great insights. So tell us about your, uh, your coaching now. You're at Mottram. Um, what, where's your vision for, for your sort of career and where do you see yourself in 10 years' time and with your brand? Yeah, I think... It's like we've spoke about it a lot. I mean, I'm still new in the coaching world and I've learned so much in 18 months. And a lot of it, I kind of wish I'd known from previous years. Like when I came back from my injury, I got really technical. And I always think half the reason why I wasn't the same player was because I got too technical and I lost the feel and I lost what I did naturally well. Whereas now, I mean, I played yesterday I haven't played for 10 weeks. I never thought about my swing once. And I shot two under. And I played really nice. And I, hmm. But I just enjoyed it. And it was just 
I was were trying different shots. And I think that's the part that I really want to get across is, all right, you, you're always going to want the guys who want the technique, who want the technical stuff, the technical data. But I want, I want to show pay players, people, all ages, um, all ability that, you know, if you think about what you want to do, so what type of shot you want to hit, it's going to be more reactive and instinctive than thinking, right, so to do that, I need to get that club there. I need to get this. I need to get that. I don't want them to think that. I just want them to think, right, to do that, I need to, I need to put that spin on the ball. How do I put that spin on the ball? And that's it. So I, I use a lot with start lines, starting poles. And I'm like, right, back of your stance, start it right at that pole and hit a draw. And they do it first time. This is somebody who probably it's a 20-yard cut. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I just want you to start it right at that pole because the club path changes all of a sudden. They and, that, and I'm like, that's how easy it is to hit that shot. And I've told you nothing technical about that. I could have brainwashed you with loads of stuff to get you to hit that draw, but I've got you doing it purely by visualising it better. Hmm. And that's, that's the one thing that I want to get across. Um, I'm loving the performance stuff. Um, taking the, the course to the range, actually putting players through challenges on the range. Do you know what? They all swing it great. They all swing it. You get these lads, girls, ladies who come and they're all professionals and they want to get, they want to jump a couple of levels. They all swing it great. I'm like, I'll video the swing. And they're like, what do you think? I'm like, it's great. Look at your positions. You don't need to worry about that. Hmm. I want you to be able to hit these type of shots. And, and that's, that's the bit that, at the minute, I find challenging at times because not many people want get it. Not many people get it. Uh, they want the technique. They want, oh, I want my swing to look good. Yeah, but would, do you want it to look good or do you want it to be effective? Mm. Yeah, I want it to be effective. Well, doesn't matter what it looks like then. Mm. And that's the bit that sometimes you struggle to get across because everyone's brainwashed into wanting a good swing. Do you want to be skillful or stylish? Stylish is you've got a good swing. Skillful is you can do anything with a ball. Well, I'd rather be skillful. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what gets the ball in the hole at the end of the day, isn't it? Being of skillful. It of course it is. Yeah. No, that's good. And you see these lads, you see these lads like working on the swing and all of a sudden they've got a 30-yard cut around the tree. They don't know how to do it. Hmm. They don't know how to do it. They can hit a three-yard draw with a four iron, but they can't hit a 30-yard cut with a four iron when they need to. Mm. And that's just brainwashed into getting the perfect swing. Yeah, totally. It's interesting, like, um, even going back to someone like Nick Faldo, right, who he didn't know how he hit a fade. Did, no. did he? Because he used to no. say that he used to aim... You know, if, if there's a tree in the way, he'd aim at the club face at the tree, he'd aim left, swing along his feet, and he'd curve around the tree. Well, that's not actually what he did because he would have hit the tree more often and the ball would have finished yeah. right. Trackman has sort of proven that in the last 10 years or so. But he, he didn't know how he did it. He just did it 
a lot of good golfers, yeah. you know, they know how to hit shots, but they don't know how they do it. They just like do it. Well, DJ is your prime example. Mm. I think DJ is your prime example. He doesn't know how he hits all the shots, but if I said to him, hit me a five-yard draw off that tree, he'd just stand up and do it. <laughs> if you went, do you know what you did there? He'd probably be like, no. Like, it'd be a 10-yard cut off that tree. He'd just stand up and do it. Mm. So talented. But he doesn't get his, in his own way by thinking thoughts about his swing. He knows how he swings it. That's my swing. I played yesterday with a girl called Sophie Powell and she showed me a swing from five years ago. It was exactly the same as what it is today. Hmm. And I said, all that work you did on your swing and look, still looks exactly the same. The, um, on your website, you've got like, you do course coaching uh, and visualization. So that caught my eye. I, I'm a big sort of uh, fan of visualization and, and I often will sort of say that it's not, it's one of the most important skills in life, not alone, just in yeah. putting. Um, can you expand on what you mean there and go, in, go into a bit more detail on that for us? Well, there's only a certain amount of things you can get a golfer to do on a driving range. You've got, you've got a wide open field with a few targets. There's no consequence on a driving range to hitting a mediocre shot. They just go, oh, it's just gone there on the driving range. Whereas on the course, you learn so much more about yourself and you learn so much more about the player that you've got. Um, Listen to a podcast, I can't remember the guy's name, and he basically abbreviated play. I love this. He abbreviated the word play as in, as to uh, powerful learning about yourself. And I love that because it's so true. So, I, and do you know what? This lockdown has made me realise that I want to get more players on the course mm. and set them challenges and see how they cope with them and get them on the range, get them on the, um, on the course, sorry, play a couple of games while we're actually on the course. But the visualisation part, I think it's something that most people just go, oh, there's the fairway, I'll just stay in there. And that's it. Well, that's the kind of what you do on the driving range. But I think if you can really kind of visualise what type of shot you want to hit, it's just really powerful. You read loads of books about different people, different sportsmen who visualise, Formula One drivers, bobsleigh drivers, rally drivers, you know, they're all in the hotel rooms the night before a race, visualising every corner and mm. what they're going to do and feeling it. And we spoke before about the free climber who literally visualises every, every part of that cliff that he's climbing. Now, I'm not being funny. If they're doing it, you know, why, isn't, why aren't golfers doing it? And I don't think we do it enough. I really don't. So sometimes I like to get just walk a golf course with a player. Mm-hmm. Just walk nine holes, no clubs. Right, what would you do here? And get them to actually see the shot without having to hit anything. Right. And all of a sudden, they get to see how they want to play the course. And it might be totally different to somebody else, but that's theirs. That's how they want to play it. 
Mm. And too many players get, I think too many players get drawn into what other people are doing. Mm. First hole, everyone's hitting four line off the tee. Well, uh, I should hit four line then. Mm. You know, go with, go with what you think. And the only way to go with how you feel is to get out there and visualise what you want to do. And then go with your gut. Love that. Love that. It's, um, I think Carl Morris says, uh, ask, yourselves, ask yourself good questions. And it's yeah. like, like, what does a good shot look like here for me? You know? Exactly. Exactly. Do you know what? Ian Highfield does Osvia options. Right. What are your options off this tee? Okay. So I could hit three wood. I could hit driver. Right. Um, selection. Second one. So select one of those and commit to it. Third one. Visualization. Visualize what you want to do with it. Fourth one, accept, uh, execution. Go and do it. Go and do everything that you've visualized. And then your fifth one, acceptance. Hmm. Just accept it. Because if you've done the first four parts right, you'll have succeeded. But if you haven't, just accept it and learn from it and move on to the next shot. Hmm. And I, I love that. Absolutely love right. that. Because it hits the nail on the head with every single golf shot. No, that's good. I love that P- the play and the that oh, one as play. well. Brilliant, yeah. I'm going to write them down. Just, just. I mean, you're talking to guys who've been pros for five years and they've never heard of this stuff. It's a, it's a process, you isn't it? Listen to podcasts, read books. It is the process, but the process is equally as important as the shot. But everyone just focuses their attention on the shot. So you've got pre-shot, shot. And post shot, hmm. they're your three sections of each of each golf shot, yep. and they're all equally as important as each other. Totally, totally agree. And they're the things you're in control of, right? Like you can totally. do all those well, and and it can still be a, a terrible result. But like as long as you do that well, that that's all you, you're in control of. Yeah, it is all you're in control. And I did a one of my friends worked for a law company in town. And every Monday of the first month, they have Motivational Monday and they, they get a guest speaker in. And he asked me to go along to listen to the, the guest speaker to see if I wanted to do one one month. And it was Diane Medal, the Olympian. And she said something, I'll never forget it. And she said, control the controllable. <laughs> that is all you've got control of. So control it. And it is so true. Why, and you look and you think, why do we get upset about something that is outside of our control? It's like a bad bounce, a gust of wind, something like that. Mm. That's out of your control. It gets a bad bounce and you get upset about it. But it's out of your control. No, that's, a, that's great advice. Love yeah. that. Yeah, and just little little nuggets here and there, isn't there? Mm. When you, you know, you read books, listen to podcasts and yeah, I mean, I've learned so much, probably more in the last six months. I've learned more in the last six months than I probably have in the last 16 years. <laughs> well, that shows, you know, uh, going back to the first question was that drive resilience. You had that playing and you still got it, you know, you're still doing it with coaching and, and I'm excited for you and and to to sort of you know together we can perhaps do some work together and you know that it's exciting because i think you you've got something you know super unique to offer golfers 
which other coaches haven't, you know, which is that experience and, and just a great mindset. That's what I'm... Yeah, I think... I, I, I'm, I'm excited as well. I really am. Because I think I've... I feel like I've got a lot to offer. Um, all levels. Because I've, I've been through all the levels, basically. Mm. Apart from Ryder Cup. You know, I've, I've played in all the tournaments. Um, I feel like I've got a lot to offer, like you say. And, but I'm coming at it from a bit of a different point of view. Um, I've been, you know, quite a successful player mm. through it. And, you know, I get questions all the time from my players. I always say to them, you will experience anything that I haven't. And I went, so if you've got a question about anything, just ask me. Mm. And I went, even if I don't know the answer, we'll come up with one together hmm. through our experience. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And um, like I say, you know, you, you get to meet a lot of great guys like yourself, very knowledgeable. And, you know, you like, again, I'm early in the coaching stage. So I just, in my playing days, I used to pick the brain of all the top players. I used to peck their heads. Hmm. And I'm basically doing exactly the same in coaching. Absolutely. You know, reaching out to people who know a lot more about coaching than I do. Okay, so this is a, uh, a putting podcast. Let's talk about putting, my favourite subject. I'm getting really excited now. So tell me, um, Simon, when you went to a tour event, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, what preparation did you do on the greens, like pin positions with your caddy or look at certain slopes and the stimp of the, the, or the speed of the greens? What was the, what did that look like? Yeah, we'd we'd go and have a wander out onto the course. We'd get all the pin placements. Most of the time, I used to play the um, I used to play the proams on a Wednesday. So we always they always put like little dots out for Thursday's pins. So we'd always have a little look and find them, have a little put to them, see which side would be best uh, best coming in from. You know, some greens you'd be better off. You know, twenty foot underneath the hole and four foot above it. You know, Valderrama, for instance, the first hole, you could have a back pin. If you went, or even even like a middle middle of the green pin, if you went past that pin, there was no way you were making a three. You were probably making a five. Hmm. So you had to really um, look at where your approach shot was going to be there. Um, uh, as, as far as putting and things like that. I just used to do it quite randomly. Um, I was never really one for drills, uh, getting, you know, standing in one place for, you know, half an hour, hitting the same putt, same putt, same putt. I was never really one of those because, you know, you're not really gaining that much from doing stuff like that. I always thought that anyway. And I remember when Pete Carroll said to me, go and watch Christian Savar on the putting green. So I did, and it, and um, and it was just awesome to watch. He literally lined up every putt like it was to win a tournament. Hmm. And Pete said to me, like, "What did you take from it?" And I said, "Like how how like much how intense it was, and how much uh, concentration he gave every single putt, like like it was to win." And he just said, "You know." That's the reason he's one of the best putters in, in Europe, Dice. He went, because when he has that putt to win from 20 foot, 
he knows he's practiced that type, that scenario. He went, whereas you get these players working on the stroke and just from six foot and the whole 100 out of 100 and then they have a 20 footer to win and they're like, oh my God, what do I do here? Hmm. Whereas he was already preparing for that scenario and he won a couple of times. He was never the best ball striker. My word, he could haul a putt. Hmm. And, I, and I think it was just his preparation in how he did that. It's going back to the um, speaking to Scolzi, you know, with the pra- making practice hard and the real thing, right? He was yeah. practicing the process and going through the full routine, mentally preparing as well as not physically looking good. It was just mentally as well. So, But he could be on that putting green for an hour and he'd probably only hit 60 putts. You get lads on there for an hour, they'll probably all a thousand putts. Hmm. Just by hitting six footers, bang, 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 four or five balls, one after another. Whereas he had one ball, he lined it up, he read every putt. He, he probably only hit 50 putts in an hour. It's good, isn't it? Proper. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Hmm. What, um, what putter did you, do you use now and what putter did you use most of your career? Were you one for a tinkerer or did you have like one baby? Do you know what? Her? Every now and again, I always used to have a change, just for a change, just for a change of scenery. I, I love the Odyssey White Hots. I love Odyssey putters. Um, so I, I think I won with a two ball. Um, and then when I was with Nike, I actually swapped. I used the rice for a bit. And then Nike made me a putter that looked like the rice. So I used that for a bit. And then I got a saber tooth, um, Odyssey saber tooth. And I've had that in the bag ever since. And I've actually, they've just sent me one, a new one. Can't even remember what it is. I used it yesterday. I actually put it all right with it. Just for, again, just a bit of a change. It, feel, it felt nice in my hand. Sits really square. It felt nice off the face. So I was like, give it a whirl. And it actually performed really well. Um, but yeah, I was never, never a massive tinkerer, to be honest. That's good. I think a lot of, uh, you know, you go back to Tiger Woods, like a lot of good put- top putters kept the same putter or same style. Totally. You look at GMAC. GMAC's yeah. had the same putter since as long as I've known him. Mm. Yeah. Who's, um, who's that American guy who's got the heel massive off the ground? Stricker. Oh, Stricker, yeah. yeah. Always, always had the same put in. Almost like a, like a zing, like a ping zing type shape, isn't it? That's it, yeah. I think that's a white, is he use a white hot though or something? I think is it? Maybe. I think so. Well, it could be a ping Maybe. zing, but yeah, Maybe. that's interesting. Talk us through your, um, your sort of pre-shot routine. Oh, you say pre, let's go pre, during and after, as we talked about it earlier. So like, when you were playing in the tournament, you've hit the ball on the green, you're 20 foot away for birdie. As you approach the green, like where, where does the routine start? And what does it look like when you get on there? As soon as I stepped on the green, to be honest, I'd have a look. I'd always have a look. But I used, you know when you, when you see these lads and while people are putting, uh, they're kind of walking around. I was never really one of them. I always give it a big glance as I walked on the green. But then my pre-shot routine was almost getting behind the ball and then stepping into the putt. So I used to do it all as one, really. Um, I was always a decent reader of greens, to be fair. But now my, I do it quite differently. Um, I, used to have, I used to just have one look at the hole. 
Um, now I don't look. I literally, I take all my information in behind the ball. So I'm stood looking at everything horizontally because as you stood over it and I, and I tilt my head to look at the putt, I just, I see things that aren't there. You know, like I might go, oh, that doesn't look right. It looks like I'm aiming too far right there. And then I get behind the ball and the line's perfect. And then I'm double guessing myself. Mm. So now I line it up. If I'm happy with the line, I step into it and just try and roll the line. Hmm. And I've found my putting's way better. Is it? I'm not double guessing myself. You and can't you know have what? any doubt. Misses, I've just misread it or I've hit the wrong pace. So do you think using a line is essential then? For me, for me, but, yeah, I love using a line, yeah. But uh, you, so you love using a line, although it looks like it's it can be wonky if you look. Yeah, but now I've now that so I'm stood behind the ball. I line it up. If I'm happy with that line, yeah, where it's aiming, I literally stand over the ball and just try and roll the line. I've 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 just got all my negative. There's no negativity in it. If it misses. Why is it missed? Well, I hit it too hard. Right. That's all right. I just hit it too hard. Or mm. is it, I just underread it. Right. Let's have a look at that. And, and then I'll have another look and go, right, I underread it. Right. So it must have been just a bit more. But yeah. as far as, because I used to go, and I'd be looking at the hole before I'd even hit the shot, before I'd hit the putt. Mm. So I'd push a lot of putts. <laughs> um, whereas now, I'm just, my so concentration is getting that ball rolling end over end. Brilliant. So and I'm, actually, I'm actually putting way better. At what point in your routine do you think about the distance? Obviously, speed I'm, and lines. I'm, feel, so that's I'm line. feeling it as I'm stood behind the ball. As I'm looking, I'm kind of feeling the distance. Now I just step into it and hit it. Okay, that's cool. So you get that you feel the size from behind the ball, looking with both eyes at the, the ball and yeah. the hole. And that's your visualization, yeah. I guess. Totally, totally. Yeah. I can see it. I can see it rolling. And as I've got my line, I can see that line rolling end over end, mm. and then where where it's going to enter the hole. Mm. And then I just step up and just match the pace, match the pace to the line. Brilliant. That's good. You know what? It, it works for some. It doesn't work for some, but it it really works for me. I think that that's the key, right? There's no right or wrong routine. There isn't. There's key things that you need to have in your routine, but it's not a sort of particular order. And what you've found is the best way for you, and that's that's smart, right? Yeah, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you look at Spieth from five foot and in; he looks at the hole. Mm. I really like that, but a lot of people hate it. Mm. Because they're like, yeah, but I can't see where I'm hitting. Yeah, but you don't need to. You, your body's done it that much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like throwing a dart. I always refer back to throwing a dart. You're not watching your hand when you're throwing a dart. No. You're looking at where you want to throw it. So Have Spieth you... obviously takes that and goes, right, that's where I want to hit that ball. And that's what he does. Have you ever tried to throw a dart looking at your hand or watching the it's dart? Horrendous. Yeah, I missed the board three times. <laughs> I, bet it's, I, bet it's, I bet it's horrendous. Yeah, I missed yeah. the ball. I, I, I am not a great darts player, but I can hit the board normally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three darts, but I didn't when I was watching the dart, just as a, as a test. Uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. So um, you may have just answered this, but you've got a putt that means a lot to you, whatever the situation, like, you know, one of the most pressured situation 
to win the tournament or, you know, the last green, five foot putt, this is it to win the tournament. How do you deal with that, those nerves? People react to nerves differently to others. Um, I believe there's like, I believe there's a way that you can help train to combat those nerves. Um, you know, there's a lot of like pressure training you can do where you get your heart rate up and you learn to get your heart rate back down before you then step into the shot. Um, but I think it, obviously it's one of those, the more you've done it, the easier it gets. So like you see a lot of people win and they finally get that win and then they go on to win loads. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just having complete trust in what you're doing. The minute you doubt yourself, you're done. Mm. You are done. The minute you start having self-doubt is you're on a slippery slope. So if someone's so, got self-doubt, how do you get rid of that? It's all good saying don't have self-doubt, but what's, what's yeah, the Yeah, no, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying don't have self-doubt. If they've got self-doubt, I think, you know, there's, you've got to have a serious sit down with them. And I like have a chat with them and say like, what are you doubting? You know, you, you've done it. You've done it all. Hmm. You know, just because that five foot is worth half a million quid, does it, does it in the grand scheme of things, does it make it harder than the same put for nothing? Hmm. Still the same put. It's exactly the same put. No, so I'm just trying to, like, you obviously, clearly, are, your mind is very, very strong and you've had those pressure environments and you've held putts for a lot more money than anyone else can ever imagine. Not that it's about money, but it's the pride as well and, you know, your determination, what you're doing. Did you have a, like, a swing thought or a way to, like, distract your mind or, like, did you whistle or did you hum? Do you know what, or... I'll be honest. Do you know what, I'll be honest with you now. Yeah. My thought when I had a put like that was, how am I going to celebrate when this goes in? Fab. And that's how I used to think, what will I do when it goes in? <laughs> it's interesting. So all of a sudden, you, you're not really thinking about the put. You try, and, you try not to overthink about the put. Mm. What am I going to do? What will I do? Will I fist? Will I, you know? Yeah. No, that's good. Excellent. Different. <laughs> yeah, no, but like, I think it's, um, yeah. Again, that's visualization though, isn't it? Comes back to yeah. It. Totally. yeah. Visualizing what you're going to do after the shot. So yeah, yeah. that's good. We, um, I, I've had, uh, I spoke to Terry Mundy on here and, uh, yeah, he, good, Terry, isn't he? yeah, fantastic. Really, really good. And, uh, he was talking about a, a moment he had with Poulter that, um, I don't know if you've heard this story, but I think it was when Harrington won in Birkdale. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, he finished second, didn't he? That's it. And he had a putt on the last um, green. He was like four holes ahead of of Harrington. And um, he had a 15-foot putt for par. And then he he thought that was going to win. And he said... um, all week, he hadn't called Terry over to read a putt all week. <laughs> and he had this putt and he goes, uh, Terry, now come over here. And Terry's going, oh my God, like, he's not going to ask me to read this putt, is he? Oh my God. He calls him over and he said, uh, Terry, know, um, know when you're a kid and you have that putt, you know, you practice having that putt to, ho- to hold it for the, to win the Open. He this said, is it. 
he said, this is it. And he said, no, off. (laughs) 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 And and he was like, so, um, yeah, it was uh, just funny that he was a funny story, but it's similar to yours that he's visualizing, you know, again, like, He's like you're, you're nuts to do that in that sort of environment. Say so like I'm gonna hold it. You yeah, know. but he, yeah, he, and like he did. He did. I mean, he's it. he's very very um, mentally strong. His pulse, very mm. mentally strong. Um, I always say like when people talk about the best putters, he's always in there for me because I mean his strokes very simple. It hasn't changed, and he's. Tell you what I always thought was really good with him. His pace was always excellent. And if you've got good pace, you're going to be a good putter. Mm. Um, but it was hauling the putts when they mattered. He was the best at it mm. for me. Still is, right? I've Still is. If I had a million quid riding on a 15-foot putt, I don't think... I yeah. Suppose, yeah. Would you, him or Spieth or Tiger? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. But it'd be one of those three for me anyway, but that's interesting. Who would you have? I think I'd have Polt. I think I'd have someone like Ian Poulter. I played with him a few times and played with him in foursomes. Yeah. And like the, yeah, I remember one time I was playing, I'd just won the week before and I, for some reason I played rubbish for like the first five or six holes. I mean, really rubbish. Mm-hmm. And he just hold put after put after put to keep us in it. And then I started playing better and we won. But if it weren't for him, we were dead and buried. <laughs> no. Early doors. But yeah, great putter. Good. And is it his mindset that what makes uh, Poulter so good at putting, do you think? I think he just never thinks he's going to miss. Yeah. You know, to have that, to stand over a putt thinking you're going to hole it mm. is as good a thing as anything you know totally. good stroke good good putt mechanics good pace if you think you're going to hold it there's a very good chance you'll hold it mm. yeah no it's so true so true so um sort of flipping the coin um not flipping it but we talked about pressure but let's talk about you know you've just played the hole and let's say you've three putted the first green, right? So you're tamping, you're really annoyed from 20 foot, you know, you just started the tournament, first green, three putted, raging. You are raging. Everyone should be raging almost for doing that. Not raging, but like, how do you deal with that to step onto the next tee and completely forget about that and not let it affect your next shot? A lot of the time, I think you've almost got to experience what how, how much damage it does for you to realise that you've got to stop doing it. You see these people get on bogey runs and it's basically because, you know, the, it's like a snowball effect. They've let that three-put affect them, which has then affected that tee shot, which has then made them bogey that. So the miffed about that and then they do something else another hole later and then they do something else and you know what it all stems down to that very first thing and it's hard to stop thinking about it when you're in that snowball effect Hmm. but I think for something like that like what I used to do bogey bogey birdie Hmm. it's great to set yourself a fresh challenge so almost give yourself right what am I gonna What am I gonna do every time I make a bogey? 
I'm going to try and birdie the next. BBA. BB, but it is. It's, it's shifting your mentality. Mm. And do you know what? I, I, when I used to do it, I would three put and I would be peed off. Mm. But straight away, my mentality went into, it's all right, I'll birdie this. Mm. Or, <laughs> come on, let's birdie this. Straight away, it was a massive shift in mentality. So that was forgotten. And then you focused on making birdie on this hole. Like it. And I, and I think it's just something you, you, through experience, you come to learn. You know, it's, hard. it's really hard to tell a very talented 20-year-old, or however old he is, by three-putting, you know, not to get mad and that it might affect your next hole quite difficult i think they've got to experience it oh, that's interesting yeah you've got to have the failure first to, to then sort of the only way you learn the only way you the learn. only way you learn you've got to got to, you've got to accept failure because mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of it and the Definitely. quicker you accept it the quicker you'll get on to uh success cool like it how does um what do you reckon to b b b a it's a birdie bounce back ability well, but what do you eagle it? Hashtag Simon Simon Dyson Golf. That is BBA. I'm I'm all over it. Trademark it. Trademark it. <laughs> do we not? We don't like the BBBA. Birdie bounce back. Oh no! Hang on, Birdie. Hang on. I'm getting confused with too many Bs. BBBA. Yeah. Or three BA. What's the best putt you've ever hit? Best putt I've ever hit will probably be for my oh, yeah for my first win in Europe. I'd won three times in Asia and then I won Indonesia, which was on the European tour, but it was still kind of in Asia. And then I remember playing a um, playoff with Richard Green and we played the, I thought, was it the 18th? Yeah, I think it was at the time. Yeah, they changed the course around a year later. Uh, first playoff hall, a bit this shot in got it on top of this ledge, thinking it was going to spin back down the ledge, and it didn't. So I had about a 20-footer. You know when you read the putt and you hit a putt, the minute it comes off the putter, you know if it's got a chance, don't you? Mm. And the minute it came off, I thought, it's got a right chance, that. And it just kind of wiggled down and dropped in for birdie to win my first one in Europe. That was the most rewarding. like it. That was the most rewarding. And... um because I had a, I had about a two and a half footer to get in the playoff, and it like it it caught the left edge, went round the back, and dropped in the other side. Did it? And I was just like, wow, if that had missed. But yeah, <laughs> so I think that's one of my one of my um, one that I've, is more in my memory than any of the others. Brilliant. No, that's great stuff. Okay, uh, let's just finish off. What would um, what what one bit of advice would you give to it to younger you? So let's say you're just starting out on tour, you just got your tour card eighteen years ago, whenever that was, twenty years ago. What one bit of advice? Forget everyone else, just find what works for you. Uh, Simon, you know, that that's been a great chat and, and thank you so much for your time. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that and I'm sure the listeners did too. So uh, yeah, Likewise. thank you very much. Cheers, Ollie. Thanks a lot. Cheers now. Cheers.